from the Univest Public Media Center, welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden. I am your host, Mike McGrath, and today's show is largely special. We have in the building, outside, and all over the place, there's so many of them, Morris dancers, sometimes called Morris men. And they're going to show us some of the dances that have been used, oh, for millennia uh, to spiritually awaken the soil and welcome the new crops while chasing away the evil spirits that destroyed all your tomatoes last year. So keep your eyes and or ears right here, cats and kittens, because it's coming up faster than you harvesting premium black gold as well as your garlic and tomatoes right after this. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome to a very special episode of You Bet Your Garden from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath, and we have a special treat for you today. First, I want to urge everyone who's listening on radio or podcast to go to YouBetYourGarden.org to see the wonderful dances that we are going to talk about. All right? It is a special very special time of year. Um, everything seems to be cascading together. Uh, International Compost Awareness Week, Earth Day, and lesser known because it's not on the calendars is the 1st of May, which probably has more gardening and farming tradition behind it than any other day of the week. Years ago, I became acquainted with the King Sessing Morris men, dancers. And these are the guardians of your soil. These are the guardians of farms and gardens. Without them, we would be stuck forever with the bad spirits of last year. And you remember which ones they were in your garden. And more than that, they welcome the spring. I am thrilled to have with me Joe Pisante, who is a squire. Joe, again, thank you so much for being on the show. Really glad to be here, Mike. You, you were on my show like 20 years ago? Uh, no, a couple of the other dancers were there. Bill Quern and Jan Alter, I had to work that day. Mm -hmm. uh, but we really enjoyed it. Uh, they, we're with, I'm with the King Sessing Morris Men, where we are an English uh, dance team that's been dancing in Philadelphia since 1977. And as you said, we're here to welcome spring. May Day, May 1st, is the beginning of spring. And we do it in a traditional way, doing English dances that were done at festivals and fairs. Uh, meant to, uh, our, our kid is meant to uh, make the ground ready for spring. Our hankies are supposed to bring the sun out. We wear bells to scare away the evil spirits out of the garden, and we have sticks to wake the ground so it's ready for planting. 
at dawn, at the break of the sun, Morris teams from all across the world celebrate by starting their dancing. And if if you guys hadn't been doing this for a thousand years, we'd have nothing to eat. That's <laughs> you know. probably true. I often think we neglect the the spiritual, the ritual aspect of gardening, which maybe I would argue is the first human occupation. You know, once people became agrarian, uh, even back then you could lose the farm if you had a bad season. And I can only imagine calling upon the spirits of the earth um, to help you have a successful season. And what better way to do it than to uh, bring dance to the garden, to uh, celebrate the wonderful season, the looking forward, the anticipation of uh, a good harvest. So important, especially thinking about the long winter that you suffered through, where food may have been scarce. Yeah. Let's talk about the dance, which I'm calling the stick dance. Yes, that's done to a tune called English Country Garden. And uh, we learned that dance via the Internet from uh, an English team called Blackheath Morris. Mm -hmm. It's done in the field town style. So all the Morris dances have a particular stepping and hanky uh, or sticking methodology that uh, really originates from small towns all across England. And that's from the uh, in the Leafield tradition or field town tradition. Uh, that dance is done. Um, it is uh, the sticks are supposed to wake the ground and make it ready for planting. Not to chase evil spirits. The well, they can chase the evil spirits. Also, the hang, the bells are. I think in my the bells are to scare away the evil spirits. Right. But I think both will both will suffice. We we generally get rid of the evil spirits as best we can. Thank you and all of the King Sessing um, Morris men for showing up today. It, uh, I, I haven't been this happy in spring since I got a snow pee early. Well, Mike, we're big fans of yours, and we're really thrilled to be here, and we hope to make this a regular event with you. Absolutely. Take care. Book it. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the King Sessing Morris men from Philadelphia are proud to be here in Bethlehem to bring in the May with some Morris dancing, an ancient English form. Is this the chingsessing Morris men? You bet your garden with a garden theme that won first prize in the Philadelphia Mummers Parade in 2020. English Country Garden.
Wow, that was amazing. I can't stop thanking uh, the King Sessing Morris men for coming out today in advance of May Day to show us what we all should be doing on May 1st. Now, that was, quote, the stick dance, which kind of appeals to me because you kind of get to beat each other if you want to. But there is another very specific dance, um, the handkerchief dance, the cuckoo dance. And to explain what we're going to see is Ed Stivender, who is one of the principal dancers. The Cuckoo's Nest is an ancient English song, and the dance called Cuckoo's Nest follows that tune. In that dance, we use handkerchiefs, throwing the handkerchiefs up into the air as if to uh, suggest the growth that we want the gardens to do and um, the sunlight that uh, we need. And this uh, dance, Cuckoo's Nest, was choreographed by our fool, the tradition in Morris is that the fool is usually the best dancer, mm -hmm. and he excuses the dancer who has made the mistake. One of the wonderful things about Morris dancing is no matter what mistake you make, the dance still continues. The music goes on, and so you basically can catch up. Our fool, Gary Untercuffler, wrote this dance with the handkerchief, Cuckoo's Nest, mm -hmm. and Gary Untercuffler is featured in a book by uh, Tony Barron, God Rest His Soul, called Six Fools and a Dancer. One of the interesting things about it is that it has a double galley, which is very rare for a Morris dance. Mm -hmm. English Morris dancing is the source of our dance, but there are variations that the American Morris dancers have put into them. And Gary has been very clever in adding this double galley, which is not an easy move to make. The specialty for this dance is the scarves. Do, do I hear you correctly that you're drawing sunlight down to the ground? Yes, uh, that's, uh, that's one interpretation. Um, the, the action, as you'll see in the dance, is that the, that the uh, hankies um, go to the sun and invite the sun to come down. And also, the idea is there's a sort of a sympathetic magic thing, uh, uh, as uh, Fraser would call it, a sympathetic magic of giving the plants around the dancers um, the idea that they should also go towards the sun and go out of the ground. The sticks are beating the ground to wake up the seeds, and then the uh, hankies are suggesting the direction that they should go towards. The hankies are heliotropic, as you might say. And the bells are constant. The bells are there to um, announce the presence of mummers and Morris dancers coming down the way, and uh, also to uh, wake up the uh, joy in the hearts of people now that spring is here. That's great. Would you find it appropriate for people to um, dress in white, put flowers in their hat, and go out and bang sticks and you know wave scarves as long as they're covered with bells? I think that that is uh, a great idea. And on Mummer's Day, we also dance in the Mummer's Parade. Mm -hmm. uh, if you have a Mummer's badge, uh, you can get away with just about anything. <laughs> I know that one. All right. Well, let's take a look at um, the cuckoo dance, and then we'll be right back. 
Ladies and gentlemen, children of all ages, and everyone who can hear my voice, this is the King Sessing Morris Dancers doing an ancient form called Morris Dancing. This dance was written by our fool. It is called Cuckoo's Nest. I really can't thank the King Sessing Morris men enough for coming out and showing us. Um, just, it's sweet. It's wonderful. It's, I believe in, in rituals and there are old ways in the garden, ways that we've lost and to preserve a symbolic dance like this is just so amazing. I can't thank you guys enough uh, for being here. Now, you plan to be on um, Belmont Plateau? Belmont Plateau at 6 o'clock on uh, Sunday, May 1st, 2022, right. where the sun will come up and shine brilliantly on the glass uh, skyscrapers of Philadelphia, and that's where we begin our dance. We will uh, be going around to other places during that day, um, going to a farmer's market later, and hopefully at the Chestnut Hill Farm and Garden Club there uh, on um, Chestnut Hill, uh, Germantown Avenue, up at the top of Chestnut Hill. What can people do to reach your group? Look up 
uh, the King Sessing Morris dancers or the King Sessing Morris men. There are several things on YouTube of us in the Mummers Parade in particular, and uh, um, the number that um, I have, uh, the number that you uh, would call, 484-477-9184. Okay, very good. I can't thank you guys enough, the King Sessing Morris men. Thanks to our interviewees, Ed Stivender, Joe Pisante, the Squire. You know, yeah. there's. Uh, I want to do like a four-hour show on this to figure out all this stuff. But you'll be back next year, yes, sir. and I'll be wearing bells. Excellent. Thank yeah. you, Mike McGrath. It's been a great pleasure to be with you today. Uh, it's been a great pleasure to have you here and to remind people of the great tradition of horticulture. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and remind everyone out there that if you're a podcaster or you're listening on your local radio station, you can watch this wonderful dancing and all sorts of craziness by simply going to the website, youbetyourgarden.org. I'm Mike McGrath, broadcasting from the Univest Public Media Center. And we'll be right back. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to You Bet Your Garden. From the Univest Public Media Center in Bethlehem, PA, I am your host, Mike McGrath, and we are celebrating spring like nobody's business. Kristen, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, Mike. How are you? I am just ducky, Chris. Thanks for asking. How are you doing? I am pretty good, thanks. And where is Chris pretty good? Uh, I am from Caroga Lake in upstate New York. Okay. What lake? Caroga. Caroga. Okay. Okay. Whereabouts is that? Is that near Ithaca? Is it near Syracuse? Oh, no. Um, so we are about 40-plus minutes west of Albany. Oh, okay. West. So it's warmer. <laughs> All right. What can we do you for? Uh, not exactly. We'll <laughs> yeah. Northwest. We'll say Northwest. Yeah. <laughs> what can we do for you? Okay. So I definitely have a grub problem mm -hmm. in my yard. So mm -hmm. I live in the country. Mm -hmm. um, and first I noticed I had probably a hundred robins in my yard this year, which I've never seen before. Um, so that was kind of alarming. I always knew there was a grub problem. So I thought, oh, maybe it's worse than ever before because I have so many birds. I'm not sure if that factors in, but I do, I've always had track marks as well from moles. Um, 
in the in the summer and actually see in, through, across all seasons because mm-hmm. I can see them tunneling under the snow in the winter. Mm-hmm. So I think that it's finally time to tackle them because I do have some spots that don't look that great okay. in my with my grass. All right. Um, now, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say the the what I wanted to preface with. I want to treat it without chemicals. Oh, of course. Come on. Because Who do you we think have a you're well talking to? And a septic. Yeah, come on. Oh, I, I can't believe people still say that on this show. You know. <laughs> yes, it's the kosher My kitchen apologies. with Rabbi <laughs> Ravonowitz. Rabbi, I don't want to talk about pork today. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we've been 35 years chemical free. I think we can stand a few more. All right. Anyway, here's the life cycle. Of the, All right. Here's the life cycle of the grub. Japanese beetles emerge, you know, like in June, July, and um, eat and fornicate on your roses, which is which is the worst. They're having too much fun. And after they're done destroying your roses, the female, who has mated, uh, digs down into the ground and lays her eggs uh, pretty close to the top of the soil because it's still pretty warm there. And then that's the first time the grubs actually do damage to you. As soon as those eggs hatch, the grubs come out and they eat the roots of your lawn. This is a prime time for birds to go after them. So anytime you see birds all over your lawn pecking away, um, they're doing good work for you. So don't, that's, that's positive pest control. Um, and then eventually as the soil gets colder, what are you doing? What are you doing making noise? Me? Yeah. You make oh, it, you make... I'm, I was just actually taking some notes. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. My... Okay, so anyway, um, the grubs go underground uh, as deep as they can to survive winter. And then in the spring, they slowly move back up, still in grub form. And on the way back up, they metamorphosize, metamorphosize, they change into Japanese beetles. And the Japanese beetles are what emerges from the ground and the whole cycle starts again. Now, the best time to combat these creatures is coming up. Um, Japanese beetle grubs don't eat on the way out. They have piled on all the fat they need um, to become uh, mature, regular beetles. So when they're coming back up again, it's dicey because they're not eating. They're just traveling and changing in shape. So the time to get them is right after you don't see Japanese beetles anymore. One of the things we've always told people is to get one single Japanese beetle trap, put it out, check it every day. And as soon as you get the first Japanese beetle in it, close it up, wrap it up, put it in a Ziploc and save it for the next year. Because now you know that the beetles are coming. And again, they're just coming up and they're going to eat. But there is a brand new type of BT. BT, uh, Bacillus thuringiensis, is kind of a general term. And there are various strains of it that work on uh, mosquitoes and other pest problems. But uh, the uh, newest form 
of BT is called BTG for Galleria. And this can be sprayed on the plants as the beetles are emerging. It's completely natural, but you spray it on your grapevines and your roses and other plants that they protect, and the adult beetles will die. Now, let me, um, and when you no longer see a lot of Japanese beetles around, that means the new eggs have been laid in your soil. And that's the time to soak the soil with the other form of BTG, which is, a, uh, I, I believe, a granular substance. And as soon as one of these grubs, and they're voracious, they will eat the entire lawn, um, gets a single, not piece, but you know what I mean, of the BTG, it dies, period. Now, I can tell you're drinking. That's not, you know. Um, <laughs> so, uh, to control Japanese beetles, you want to spread um, either BTG or milky spore disease in the fall. They both act the same way. They go down into the soil, and if one, if one grub eats one spore, they're dead. And this is the time they're feeding, so this is the time to get a hold of them. And then again, when they emerge, have that trap ready to show you that they're out. But then don't put out any other beetle traps. Just spray your plants, keep an eye on your plants. And really the best time to attack these creatures is right after the Japanese beetle invasion is over in your landscape and you know the grubs are at the top of the surface eating your grass roots. Okay, so... Um, I am a little familiar with milky spore. Right. So um, I actually uh, hastily put down some milky spore to try to attack this before I uh, reached out to your show. Right. And then after a little more thorough research, I realized I think it's still too cold. So that was kind of useless. Is that correct? Well, milky spore is put down in the fall. Okay. Because that's so, the only time the grubs are feeding. Hasty. You right, know, yes, I, idea, see, I didn't know that. Yeah, well, that's why okay. I'm here with the big money. Yeah, milky spore, <laughs> milky spore is effective if you put it down at the right time, which is late July, early August. Same with BTG. Um, put it down when the grubs are feeding. The difference about BTG is there is the adult version uh, that can knock them down on your roses and plants like that. But I'll, I'll tell you what, to get the timing okay. correct, sometimes it can be a little confusing. Um, go to our website, go to youbetyourgarden.org, click the link that says answers to all your garden questions, and just type in grubs. Okay. And you'll, you'll find a half a dozen articles that we've done in the past. But the best time to get rid of the grubs okay. is when they're actively feeding. That's midsummer through, right. you know, September or so. Okay. Now, the BTG, so you mentioned all these uh, flowers and beautiful plants. Yeah. Uh, of which are not a concern here at my house. But what is a concern and where I do have a Japanese beetle problem, which is out of this world, uh, is on my blueberries. That's unusual. So I have a, uh, a huge, I have a huge blueberry patch. Yeah. That's unusual. So this is where my beetle problem is. Well, so that's no problem. I mean, you just spray them 
with BTG. It's totally uh, non-toxic. I can spray these on my berries? Yes, yes. It's totally non-toxic. It only okay. affects members of the scarab beetle family who ingest the spores. Okay. Um, only because I, have, I do have family that we eat the blueberries with right off the what did I tell I you? Spray them with anything. I'm never going to tell anybody know, to spray I'm anything that's it. dangerous. You got to okay. have it on your breakfast cereal. All right. All right. You yeah. little faith. <laughs> Perfect. All right. You take Perfect. care now. Yeah. Good luck. All right. Thanks. Have a great day. You too. Bye bye. Eight 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 four nine two ninety four forty four. Eric, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi. Thank you for talking to me. Well, I, if not, I'd be sitting here staring into the camera, man. <laughs> there is that. A couple of weeks ago, you gave some really clear advice on not planting tomatoes in the same place for three years. Right. But as you may have guessed, I have a question. First of background. Two years ago, I found two two by 12 inch, eight foot long boards on the curb a block and a half from my house. Mm -hmm. Now, I'd almost kill myself carrying them up the hill. Oh, up the two. hill it had to be, right? Yeah. Well, well, where I live, it's always up the hill. <laughs> but I now have two, two, mind you, one foot by three foot free raised beds. Yeah, free Sweet, except right? for the exhausting labor that mules would turn down. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. Tomatoes have been planted in the in them for the last two years. Mm -hmm. My plan had been to completely empty out the soil and replace it with brand-new burrow compost and plant some more tomatoes. However, I don't know how deep to dig it to get rid of the dreaded verticillium or that other nasty stuff. Oh, where are you? I want uh, State College, Pennsylvania. Oh, okay. Yeah, you don't have fusarium. You have strictly verticillium. It, it's a diseasey thing. Yeah. Anyhow, I want to plant tomatoes there because they grow higher than my wife's flowers. Mm -hmm. Also, the chipmunks, rabbits, and evil squirrels don't eat tomatoes much, or <laughs> so that no no fencing around these raised beds is necessary. That's nice. Now, I think there's a skunk in the neighborhood that samples a tomato once in a while, but not that often. Um, I, so, would, I would say definitely not. Uh, skunks? Not what? Uh, I don't think so. Oh, skunks. Skunks. Um, yeah. skunks are entirely carnivorous. They only eat meat. They're like teenage boys. And huh. so what they're doing is eating worms and grubs and stuff like that. Now, there's no end to what can attack a tomato out in the open. Um, a lot of times damage that people think is caused by some other insect they're seeing is actually a slug damage in the middle of the night. Hmm. But I don't want to. Well, it looked like Go ahead. it looked like tooth marks to me. Oh, well, but the main be. question, it, it, you know, uh, it, it could be an evil squirrel. They love to take a bite out of each tomato. <laughs> no, they don't like them, but they want to ruin them. <laughs> They're evil. Yeah. So, getting back to my question, is this a complete fool's errand? Should I just give up on not plant tomatoes in that X mark spot for the next two years? Well, uh, or do I need to? That's a pretty, do I need to move the raised beds? Uh, no, that wouldn't work. Um, I'm trying to think here. Uh, is has there been anything other than tomatoes in that bed? No, not really. And the pepper, maybe. Right. Um, and do you have another place where you could grow 
um, one year's run of tomatoes. Yes. Well, I, that's what I'm going to suggest. I'm going to suggest you don't. First of all, it sounds like you like physical labor too much for me. Um, and it would be really difficult. And, and the true answer is nobody knows. Um, te- I like that. Technically, if you got down to the very lowest root hair and then excavated two feet all around that and then maybe another six inches at the bottom for good luck, um, you could try it. But um, it I seems like too much work. I would, I would have fun planting other things in that bed. You said you only did it for two years, right? Uh, I think, yeah. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, you know, I would give it a I would give it a year off and I I would not hesitate to uh, come back and plant again the following year. Okay, the other option is of course to move the raised beds. I mean, there's only 1 foot by 3 foot. What so is they're not that heavy. What is up to you? Did you, did you did, were you given a triple dose of work ethic when you were born? Yeah, apparently. Well, it would be interesting to see what would happen again if you do you know where the tomatoes were exactly? Well, they're only one foot by two, three foot beds. Right. And how tomato what he's doing. So that's where they are. So we're only talking two plants in each bed, yeah. Um, And you have other beds that house tomatoes correct okay and they're always at the edges yes hmm. well you make your you make your possibility more intriguing <laughs> so you know i would definitely let one bed go fallow um actually both beds go fallow for now and then the season after replant that bed with tomatoes um, and let the other one have another year off, and you should be able to to give it a shot. Now, if you really want to do all this work, what you do is you presume that the tomatoes had a two-foot footprint all around. And, of course, we're always burying the roots of the tomatoes deeper and deeper. So you'd have to go pretty deep. And wherever there is a root there can be verticillium. So it's, you know, it's not just these little guys at the bottom, but they're the ones that can technically escape. Yeah. You want to pull out the plant. Yeah, you want to give it a try? I think it's it's very interesting idea, and I'd love to hear what happens. Well, I think because I wouldn't have anything else I can plant there that would be safe from bunny rabbits. Oh. It's probably best if I move the raised beds into my wife's uh, pollinator-friendly uh, native plant bed. Okay. Yeah. I, yeah. People should mix flowers and uh, vegetables more often. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's tough. If you have rabbits, I mean, they can even knock down your sweet corn before it gets a chance to get some size. Well, we don't have many rabbits because I have two good cats. Oh, good. So, good. Good. Well, I'm, I don't eat the squirrel. You know, I'll tell you, so you got four plants out there? Yeah. 
Tell you, why don't you pick one and put another uh, tomato plant in there and really, really get the, the full two feet side to side and go down lower than you possibly think and plant a tomato plant there and send us the results and we'll publish it in good housekeeping. <laughs> okay. All right, man. We'll think about that and see if I can talk my wife at helping dig that hole. Oh, forget it. All right. Well, <laughs> yeah, good luck to you, Eric. Uh, well, thanks th for an entertaining and informative show. Thank take you. Take care. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Well, it's time for me to take a little break. I'm Mike McGrath, broadcasting from the Univest Public Media Center, and we'll be right back. This is 91.3 FM, WLVR Bethlehem, WLVR.org. Welcome back to our very special episode of You Bet Your Garden, broadcasting from the Univest Public Media Center in Bethlehem, PA. And we are celebrating spring like nobody's business. Uh, the number to call is 888-492-9444. Darlene! Welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Well, hi, Mike. Thanks for having me on your show. Well, thanks for being had. How you doing? I'm doing a little itchy today. <laughs> oh, the pollen. I can explain that. I can explain that. Mm -hmm. Well, I'll tell you, it's part of my question. Is that okay if I go ahead? Uh, yeah. What? Uh, where are you? Okay. I am in Bethel, Pennsylvania, which is end of Berks County. Right. Okay. So Bethel, Pennsylvania, Berks County. All right. What can we do you for? Okay. Okay. Well, my husband and I have been clearing an overgrown area of briars, small small walnut trees that are growing alongside of a creek mm -hmm. that runs next to our property. Mm -hmm. Okay. And we are clearing this out, and I got some poison. That's why I said I was itchy. Oh, uh, you got poison. Well, anyway. Agree. Yeah. Yes, and you can't detect it because they're, it's not green. So, you know, I'm pulling out these briars and things, and whoo. Oh, red. yeah, sure, you gave anyway. it an entry point. <laughs> I did, I did. Oh. Now, before well, we, anyway. No, before we go any go further, because I'm going to forget, um, is this okay. stream running year-round, or is it dry in the summer? It's running year-round. Okay, proceed. Okay, yep, yep, mm-hmm. And so uh, we would say uh, on that bank, it uh, maybe two to five feet is the area. We would like to plant some kind of a cover crop to hold the soil. Mm -hmm. And then maybe later in the fall, do some plantings. Mm -hmm. So I have a forsythia, I have a lilac, I have a, a couple lilacs, and I have one pussy willow tree. But the other stuff was just briars and nasty walnut trees. So we're clearing that off. And again, your suggestion on any kind of like a cover crop we could sow to no. kind of hold us over? Uh, oh, you mean right now? That's an interesting yeah. question. Cover crop that yeah. can take a lot of moisture. Um, rice. Okay. You, you still got time to grow a little uh, homegrown rice. And I, I think that, nice. that yeah, because, you know, it's, it doesn't require 
being grown in a pond, but it loves wet soil, and it's very good at keeping the soil in place. Okay. And All right. Well, this is this is on a slope, on a bank. I didn't know if I look, should look for some kind of perennial grass or, you know, something you like gotta that. Be, first of all, you've got to be careful planting near water. In this case, I completely oh. agree with the native plant enthusiasts. Um, you don't mm-hmm. want to put anything in there that's going to be invasive because the seeds are yeah. going to drop into the water and everything like that. And y- okay. I hope you didn't get too aggressive about the uh, clearing. No, we, d- we didn't. We mm. did not. No, it's not. It's not bare. <laughs> Definitely not bare. But I mean, we did. I mean, the walnut trees were just so bad and then we'd had to mm-hmm. clean them all up you know they're on the lawn and everything mm-hmm. and and then again the briars would be you know uh extending all along you couldn't even mow by them so we just decided to you know pull them out yeah i i would try rice although don't take my word for it alone i also want to make yeah. a suggestion that will appeal to all the children in the audience Man-eating okay. plants, carnivorous plants. Ooh, ooh, yeah. The area, Our grandkids would like those. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm not sure about how low they can go in, in the mm-hmm. winter. You may be a little too cold um, for that, but you might even want to grow them as annuals. They're so fun. Uh, pitcher plants, uh, P-I-T-C-H-E-R, um, or, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. have like a, a lily-like flower, And uh, they fill themselves with this sweet, sugary liquid, and then there's a flap that comes over. So if you're a fly or a mosquito, and you go in there, you know, hey, look at all this rich, and then then you slowly dissolve in those fluids. Oh, okay. All right. Well, that's a suggestion. Yeah. uh, Also, uh, oh, God, the famous Venus flytrap. Um, but I think you're too cold for that. Cold. Yeah, I think we are too. Yeah, cold. What grows well around there that you like? Well, I didn't know if we ferns or uh, something like that. Uh, ferns are unkillable, um, and some people okay. consider them invasive. Um, but I yeah. would move them into the easy to grow. <laughs> category and uh, ferns would be the number one choice for stabilizing the soil oh okay oh so i'm on the right track there well yes but you'll never get them out to plant the stuff after that oh okay very fibrous (laughs) roots all underneath um yeah so once they're there they're there you're Mm -hmm. part of the now i'm in Bethel, pennsylvania berks county I am at the very end of Berks County, almost to what we consider the Lebanon County line. Oh, okay. So uh, I'm, yeah, I'm way up on 78, heading towards Hershey. Uh-huh, I know that well. Um, okay. Okay, yeah. so I changed my mind. I think you should put in pitcher plants and Venus flytraps and other carnivorous plants. Okay, all right. Just for fun, of well, course. Well, I'm going to... Yeah, sounds good. Well, I have grandchildren. They would love something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You uh, have them watching your show every now and then, and they love it. Aha! Well, thank them. You know, I have I more... I will. Oh. I have more toys than they do. You do. They always love to see what you have out there. Uh-huh. And, of course, they love Ducky. Oh, of course. 
And Ducky loves loves them. Oh, well, this is great. These are some some great suggestions. I'm going to explore it. I could call my local county extension, though, and just see what they would offer. But I think you've given me some some, uh, food for thought, and I'm going to explore all the possibilities. Especially if you get the harvest. I'll call you back and let you know how we make out. You'll have food for more than thought if you get to harvest the rice. (laughs) There you go. We like rice. Okay, great. Uh, that's be- that was a trend like 20, 30 years ago was to grow your own rice because it's apparently easier than people think. So I think that would be fun. It would stabilize. But, uh, yeah, it, if you're going to plant something else there later on, stay away from ferns because they will okay. take over. But obviously, I shouldn't say obviously, uh, azaleas, hydrangeas. And especially the yeah. willow, we're going to love it there. Yeah. Oh, I know. I, I really do like the willow myself. Mm-hmm. I just had to get away from briars and, and walnut trees. Oh, I hear you. <laughs> I hear you. When you, buy you a, hear me. When you buy a place in the woods, sooner or later you realize you bought a place in the woods. Now, um, Absolutely. And when you continue with this, please wear protection against ticks. Um, you know, permethrin-treated clothing is the absolute best. But um, there's some really nasty diseases showing up now, and you want to be careful. Well, I appreciate that you uh, giving me that suggestion. Yeah. I don't need ticks on top of poison. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, goodness. All right. Say hi to the kids. What are the kids' names? They are Cameron, Mm -hmm. Sadie, Blakely, and Willow. Whoa. So you can plant power. Yeah. I know. Oh, she'd love. Yeah, they're going to be so excited that uh, Grandma got to mention their names. I told them I was calling you, and the one said, "Are you going to be famous?" I said, "Sorry, not famous." <laughs> Only on this side of the microphone, kid. There we go. You're the man. Yep. Well, we enjoy your show so much. You make us smile, and you give us a lot of of great advice, and we share it with others. I am blessed to be able to do so. Well, we appreciate it. All right. Well, All right. You take well, you care. Have... Thanks so much, Mike. My All right. pleasure. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. As promised, it is time for the question of the week. And today's lesson is how to plant a tree. Erica, who lives in gardens in Wheatfield, New York, which is right between Buffalo and Niagara Falls, writes, last spring I bought a bundle of young serviceberry bushes from my county extension. They were small, about a foot to 18 inches high apiece. I followed the instructions to first plant them in a nursery bed. I used a brand new flower bed that I had filled with yard waste, municipal compost, and lots of perlite. They have done well and are leafing out beautifully. I'd like to transplant them to the permanent location in my crummy clay soil this fall, which would give them about a year and a half of growing up in the nursery. But I can't find any instructions on how best to do that. It seems to me that if I dig them up with lots of the loose, rich soil they are in now and plant them that way, I will be guilty of improving the soil in the hole and thus discouraging them from ever pushing the roots deep into my crummy clay. 
But if I dig them out and shake off all the nice soil to plant bare root style, I fear I will damage the roots and kill them. As you can see, I have just enough knowledge to be dangerous. Well, actually, you have just enough knowledge to ask a darn good question, Erica. And before I fumble around for an answer, I would like to take a moment to praise your choice of plants. The serviceberry, a.k.a. the Juneberry, Shadberry, and about a dozen other common names, is a remarkable plant. It's native, comes in both the form of a tree and is a multi-branching shrub. It is one of the earliest plants to produce fruit, hence the Juneberry tag. The fruits are a lot like blueberries and taste like a combination of blueberries and almonds. At least the best ones do. Like mulberry, the fruit quality can vary considerably from plant to plant. Some taste great eaten raw. Some fruits are fit only for making jam. Hey, you add enough sugar and anything tastes good. They are a great plant for wildlife as well. Several cool-looking moths and butterflies eat the leaves. Many types of birds eat the fruit. And deer will eat the whole thing to the ground if you aren't careful. Now, you have the principle down perfectly. You would feel like a good parent if you fill in the planting hole with nice amendments and potting soil, peat moss, compost, perlite, and maybe vermiculite to create a welcoming environment. But the reality is that the roots of your new plants would stay inside that welcoming environment instead of fighting their way out into your crummy clay. Plants with helicopter parents never really seem to grow, and they develop so few lateral roots that you can generally lift them right out of the ground four or five years down the line. Are there exceptions? Yes, and blueberries are a big one. They naturally grow in highly acidic peaty soil, a.k.a. peat moss from peat box. So you have to backfill their hole with a lot of milled peat moss. With less needy acid lovers like rhododendron and azalea, a mulch of peat covered by a mulch of compost will generally suffice. Now, your nursery bed, a.k.a. healing in, or positioning baby plants in a temporary bed until they're big enough to plant in an area whose soil scares you, you have been a good mother so far. And you are correct that late summertime, early fall, is the best time to plant new trees and shrubs. But I think it's time for your kids to get out of the nursery and into the real world now. Spring is fine for planting, especially in your upstate New York climb, where harsh summertime temperatures aren't due till late July, and then they last three or four days. Don't dig them up. Soak the soil and pull them up ever so gently. Their new spots should have good drainage, good for clay at least, no ponding, and excellent air circulation, as they are prone to some diseases if overcrowded. Otherwise, assuage your fears by digging a super wide hole. It's okay to bust up the clay, don't replace it. There's an old expression in this game, dig a wide hole, not a deep one. So go to town on the sideways action. Position the plants high up in their planting space. With trees, you have the root flare as a guide. You always want to see that root flare above ground after planting. 
With shrubs, you're going to have to just use your best judgment. Breathe, grasshopper, and believe that the plants want to live. Fill the hole back up with the same crummy clay you dug up, no cheating. Then let a hose drip at the surface of the soil for several hours for each plant. Let the soil settle. Mulch with two inches of your wonderful yard waste compost and have a fast hand with the drip hose if you go a week without rain or it gets really hot, which you wish it would. <laughs> Last time I checked, global warming was still scared of your part of the country. Bare root plants that have not been healed in. Soak the roots in a bucket of clean water for several hours before planting as above. Plants in pots. Slide the dirt-covered roots out of the pot and use a garden knife to dig in there. Get rid of any excess soil and loosen up the roots before planting. Don't worry too much about injuring the roots. You really want to shake the nether regions of such plants out of their pot-bound doldrums. Then plant as above. Well, that was sure some fun advice about how you can care for your garden spiritually every May Day from now on. You start buying your bells, you hear me? And we'll have a question of the week at the Gardens Alive website trying to teach you how to plant a tree. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden question of the week, and you will always find the latest question of the week at the Gardens Alive website. You Bet Your Garden is a half-hour public television show, an hour-long public radio show and podcast, all produced and delivered to you weekly from Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the public radio exchange. You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath. Mike McGrath was created when he was eaten by a dinosaur and reincarnated as Ricky Ricardo. Yikes, my producer is threatening to ring my bells if I don't get out of this studio. We must be out of time. But you can call us anytime at 888-492-9444 or send us your email. You're tired, you're poor, you're wretched refuse teeming towards our garden shore at YBYG at WLVT.org. Of course, you'll find all of this contact information, answers to your garden questions, audio of this show, video of this show, and our podcast, all at YouBetYourGarden.org. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, and for me, every day is May Day. But you can bet your boopies that I will be out there at dawn with bells and sticks and hankies and all that good stuff because remember we gardeners need good luck more than normal people